Amen. All right, you may be seated. Whew, it's good to be back home. I was, uh, I had the chance to speak at First Baptist Church Sun City last week, and uh, there isn't the showing up at 6.50, 6.45, setting up all morning. Um, there isn't the getting things set up here, meeting with the team, getting to hear worship practice, but there is a whole lot of suit wearing and uh, tie wearing. And so let me just say, I will bust my butt for the rest of my life, making sure church is set up if it means I don't have to wear a tie up here, okay? If you see me in a tie, it means bad news. It's probably somebody's funeral, okay? Let's keep that away from us. All right. Well, hey, we are in a new sermon series starting this week. It is called Encounter. We will be in this new series of Encounter for the next five weeks, six weeks, including today. And basically what Encounter is about is different encounters that Jesus has from the beginning of the Gospel of John all the way up to the cross, which we will look at on our uh, Good Friday service, and then to the victory and the resurrection at Jesus's rising from the dead. And we will, of course, celebrate that on Easter. And so uh, let me just say I'm so excited to spend this time with you, with Jesus. There is something that is just so special about Jesus. We were at men's breakfast yesterday morning. And I got to talk to one of our uh, church members here. His name is Mike. And Mike was just telling us younger guys about the importance of just spending time with Jesus, reading the Gospels. And I love Paul. And I love how Jesus changed Paul's life. And I love the epistles. And I love every letter that Paul writes to the church of wherever. But there's just something that is different about Jesus. And so for the next five weeks, we get to spend time with Jesus. That's a weird thing to say at church. We get to spend time with Jesus every time we're here. <laughs> Should have thought that one through, shouldn't I? <laughs> but this morning for sure, we're going to spend some time with Jesus, all right? So we kind of need to do some catching up when we uh, are reading the gospel of John. And so let's do just that. Leading up to this point, we can kind of see through the disciple, the apostle John's words, what is taking place here about another man named John. This is John the Baptist. I don't, I'm just definitely not saying that John was a Baptist. It's probably better to say John was a baptizer. Um, they didn't have Baptists back then. Um, I th if they would have, he might not have recognized Jesus, okay? That was a joke. I can say that because it's my own people, Okay come from all over the place, all of our formal assembly, former Assembly of God Pentecostal people, like, I know that's right. <laughs> Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit now. Okay, John, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I'm going to get in trouble. I better stick to the script. <laughs> there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the baptizer and ist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So this is referring to John the Baptist. Everything about his life was to prepare the way for Jesus. Repent, repent. Jesus is coming. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Jesus is coming. That was John's life message. And then John chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, John the Baptist, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me 
because he was before me. And of course, we see that as we start off in the book of John, in the very first verse, we see that Jesus has always been, that everything was created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. He has always been. The word was God. The word was with God. He will always be. And so Jesus comes before John, but in the physical, on this world, Jesus came after John. So he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. As we have dug into the past 10 weeks, every time we have talking, we have talking. That's, whew, that's some, we are, we are just killing it this morning already. Every time we have talked and gone through the book of Galatians. For the law was given through Moses and we see that Jesus came to fulfill the law. And grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And so up until this point in the Gospel of John, we see the very beginning of all of creation. We see that Jesus was present there. We see that Jesus is now here. He is present before John the Baptist. And so this morning we start in John chapter 1, verses 35, and we will make our way through to 42. But we start John 1, 35 through 36, it says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked away, or as he walked by, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So this is John the Baptist. It was certainly normal back then for you to have disciples that followed you. And so what was happening is John the Baptist had disciples, people that followed him as he taught them and prepared them for the coming Messiah. Two of those disciples, Andrew and John. And what does John say? Behold, the Lamb of God to his disciples. This morning, our first point, as disciples, when we encounter Jesus, we see him for who he really is. When we encounter Jesus, we see him for who he really is. I think for us, in order for us to see Jesus for who he really is, it often takes somebody that we trust to introduce us to Jesus. What we see here is that John and Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist. As his disciples, as someone that they follow, we see that John the Baptist had influence over John and Andrew. He was preparing them for the perfect handoff from being a disciple of John the Baptist to being a disciple of Jesus, the Messiah, who was coming and who is now here. But what does it all start with? It all starts with John the Baptist identifying Jesus, saying, behold, the Lamb of God. So what does it mean when John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God? Is he saying that Jesus is just a gentle spirit? That's certainly not all that he is saying. What he's referring here to is the Passover. And the Passover would have taken them back as Jewish men, as disciples, to the time where their people were enslaved by Egypt. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, 
and the angel of death was coming through. And it would take the life of every firstborn. But there was a way that you could be delivered from that. And that is if you took the blood of the lamb and you put it over your doorway. Then the angel of death would pass over your house and you would receive deliverance. Your firstborn, they would live. And so what is that referring to when it comes to Jesus? That is referring to Jesus's final deliverance for us in salvation. Final deliverance from sin, from death, from the enemy that only comes through Jesus and his work on the cross. And so what is John the Baptist using his influence? What is John the Baptist using this trust that these disciples of his had in him? What is he using it for? He is using it to identify the Messiah. He is using it to point people to Jesus. He knew that these men would follow Jesus. He just pointed them to him. He knew that he had developed trust in them. He knew that he had influence. And so what I have to ask you this morning is, what are you doing with your influence? Every single one of us has influence. It may not be over 30,000 people on Instagram or TikTok, but you certainly have influence over at least a handful of people in your life. Husbands, what are you doing with your influence? How are you loving, leading, serving your family? And not just loving, leading, and serving your families, but how are you doing those things to lead your families to Jesus? This is your first ministry. This is what you're supposed to tend to before you tend to anything else. How are you using your influence to minister to the people that God has put you over? Leadership and love and care for. Moms, dads, how are we leading and serving each other? I guess I should say husbands and wives. Just because you're husband and wife doesn't mean you have kids. That's just where I'm at right now. Doesn't make it true for everybody. How are we using our influence to lead, love, and serve each other? To bring each other to a place where when one of the other walks out the door, we're handing that person off to Jesus. And then moms and dads, how are we using that influence to raise our kids? Are we just trying to be good friends to our kids? Are we trying to be good parents to walk alongside them, to bring them into this adventure that we are caught up in in Jesus? to identify him and the things around us and the things that are good and the things that hurt. How are we using that influence? There's going to come a day where you pass your kids off whether you like it or not. You're going to pass them off as your disciples to be disciples of Jesus or are you going to pass them off to a world that will absolutely destroy them? We all have influence. Are we using it to build our following? Are we using it to build Jesus' following? Let's keep that in mind. John 1, 37. The two disciples heard him say this. Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed Jesus. Our second point this morning, as disciples, when we see Jesus for who he really is, we follow him. That's the definition of being a disciple. Following someone else. So, How do we follow Jesus? That's the question that we have to ask. If we are only disciples, if we follow Jesus, then how do we follow him? We hit on this all the time. It's just a good reminder. We follow Jesus by making him the main character of our story. 
by making his purpose our purpose. And what is Jesus' purpose? Jesus' purpose is go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. How do we go about his purpose? Well, we go about it. That is the great commission. We go about it by way of the great commandment, and that is to love God and to love people. So if we look at our lives, if we break our lives down, are we the main character? Have we just taken Jesus and put him on a little trailer and hitched him to the back of our ride? Or have we let him take the driver's seat? And we're following him. We've hitched everything that we have, everyone that we love, everything that we own, all of our belongings, all of our purpose, all of our identity in him. And he is driving and we are in the back, in the trailer. We follow Jesus by surrendering our entire lives to him. I think so often we can just be fans of Jesus. We've got an entire wall of crosses in our house. We've got a couple coffee mugs that have Bible verses on them. We show up to church a couple times a month. Man, we are killing it. We are super Christian. Really, we're not Christians at all, because to be Christian means to be a little Christ. And to be a little Christ means that Jesus, Jesus solely, operates in and out of your life. I think we can fool ourselves into being followers of Jesus when really we've just been fans of Jesus for so long that we can trick ourselves, we can trick other people into thinking, man, yeah, that person really loves Jesus. But let's, let's really scratch underneath the surface here. Let's take a look at our lives. Are we followers of Jesus or are we just fans of Jesus? So that's how we become a disciple. We make our lives all about him. We operate in the Holy Spirit that we've received and we put our trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins to be our savior. So why do we follow Jesus? Well, this is part of the reason we exist as a church. To find true life. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, that's for Jesus' sake, will find it. We are all following something. We are all following someone. I think you can see it now more than ever when it comes to social media. You see it now more than ever when it comes to sports teams. We are so loyal, so devoted, so committed to liking every single post, to following every single game, to knowing every single player on the roster, every single stat. It is hardwired into us to follow something or someone. It's in God's design, but it's in God's design because we were made to follow Jesus. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what we are following, is what we are hitching our trailer to, does it have eternal value? Or am I just going to take this to the grave and that's it? When we follow Jesus, it echoes into an eternity. When we follow Jesus, we give up our lives and we find them in him. John 1, 38 and 39, Jesus turned and saw them falling and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come, and you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Third point, as disciples, when we follow Jesus, we stay with Jesus. 
And to stay with Jesus means that we abide in Jesus. As we continue on over the next five weeks in the Gospel of John, one of the main overarching themes that we see in this Gospel is this concept of abiding in Jesus. Abiding means to remain in Jesus. That means that just a little bit of Jesus isn't enough. Just playing church isn't enough. This means we need more than just an hour, an hour and a half on Sunday mornings. This means that we long, we crave, we desire more than anything to spend time in Jesus, with Jesus. So how do we do that? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of Sunday school answers that you've heard your entire life, but I pray, Holy Spirit, in us right now, if this is not what we are doing in our lives, if we are not abiding in you, Jesus, that you would convict us. So how do we abide in Jesus? We spend time with Jesus. How do we spend time with Jesus? Most basic answer ever. We read his word. We spend time in the Bible. We spend time in God's word. If you have never read the Bible before, hey, that's all right. That is absolutely all right. Let me challenge you to read the Bible, to pick up God's word. I know it can be intimidating. Let me just start off real easy for you. Dive into the book of Mark, okay? The book of Mark is a gospel of the life of Jesus, his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection. It reads like an action movie, okay? It's more like the Cliff Notes version of the gospels, okay? If you're not super intelligent and you need Cliff Notes like me, it's a great one for you. Also, if you're super intelligent and you know you need to read your Bible, if you're going to abide in Jesus, Mark, it's a great place to start off. So we spend time reading God's word. We spend time in prayer. We talk to God. We listen to God. I don't know your background. I don't know what prayer has been made into in your life, but I know a lot of times prayer can seem distant. God can seem unaccessible. Let me just tell you, that's not the case. God doesn't care about your eloquent words. Clearly, I can't even make it through half the sentences I say. I make up words half the time. God doesn't care. God wants your attention. God wants your heart. God wants your sincerity. God wants you wants to know that he is priority in your life. Talk to him. You don't just talk. I think we can babble on as well as Christians, just trying to make it sound good enough for God to accept it and maybe do something with it. But take some time to listen as well. Take time to see God at work around you. Worship him. Praise him when things are good. And let me challenge you to worship him and praise him when things are not good. Because even when things aren't good, that doesn't change the fact that he is good and will always be good. To abide in Jesus means to lean into Jesus, into his open arms for peace, for comfort, for understanding when things around us just don't make sense. To abide in Jesus means that we breathe Jesus in, we breathe Jesus out. It means that he consumes us in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. John 1, 40 through 42, we close out here. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, 
or he said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Fourth and final point this morning. As disciples, when we stay with Jesus, when we abide in Jesus, we have no choice but to bring others to him. When we stay with Jesus, we bring others to him. What is one of the very first things that Andrew does after realizing that this is the Lamb of God? This is the Messiah. After staying with him, what is one of the first things that Andrew does? He goes and he tells somebody else. When you've got good news, what do you do? You share it. I know that there's a new grandma in our church right now who just got some really good news about her daughter receiving a new baby through adoption. You know what? She, she showed me that picture at least three times, and that was just this morning, all right? She's proud, as she should be. She's excited, as she should be. She's overjoyed, as she should be. And adoption is sweet. What about us? We've been adopted into a family. We've been made sons. We've been made daughters through the Messiah, through the work of Jesus. And that's not just something that changes our lives here. That's something that changes our lives into eternity. For the God who loved us so much, he sent his one and only son to die for us. That is something to be excited about. And so when we get excited about things, we share things. And when we share things, people hear things. And when people hear things, maybe they actually follow us to the person, place, or thing we are talking about. And for Andrew, that was certainly the case. Now, Andrew, he's one of those disciples who doesn't get a whole lot of screen time, all right? He's certainly not a Peter. He's not a John. Um, he's really only mentioned 12 times throughout all four gospel accounts. Do you know what one of the main things is that Andrew does more than anything else? He brings people to Jesus. There was a little boy with a basket, and that basket had some bread in it and had some fish in it, and Jesus used it to feed thousands of people. How did that take place? Well, Andrew, Andrew knew Jesus. Jesus had been identified to Andrew. Andrew knew who Jesus was. Andrew knew what Jesus could do. And because he knew who Jesus was and because he knew what Jesus could do, he knew that other people needed to get before Jesus. And because he knew other people needed to get before Jesus, he took it upon himself to take them to Jesus. And who did he bring? He brought his brother. Now, sibling rivalries can be a little tough. I don't know if I would have brought my brother at first, but Andrew brought his brother. And who was his brother? His brother was Simon. And when Simon comes into contact with Jesus, that's who he is. He's Simon, which can be translated into meaning shifty. Couldn't quite rely on him. And when being brought before Jesus, Simon becomes Peter or Cephas, which means rock. Because Andrew knew what Jesus could do, knew who Jesus was, knew what Jesus was about. He brought his brother before him. And in bringing his brother before Jesus, his brother receives a new identity. And of course, we know Peter. He's a short-tempered disciple. He's the one that'll cut your ear off and then put it back on because Jesus is like, he's going to need to hear later. He's the one that will deny Jesus three times and then when the rooster crows, realize that was the biggest mistake he ever made. 
He's the one that takes action first and regrets it later. But he's the one that steps up. He's the one that gets things done. He's probably the one that lived in the most grace out of any other disciple. But he is also the one that Jesus used to be the rock in which the church would be built on. The man that would receive the keys to heaven. I think it's important when we look at this that we realize we never know the impact that Jesus will have on a life that we bring to him. And Jesus wants to use the people around us to transform their lives so that he can use them as part of his bigger story. Question for you this morning is, do you know a man by the name of Mordecai Ham? No. I didn't either until this week, so it's okay. Mordecai Ham, nobody special. He was a somewhat known evangelist. And in 1934, in rural North Carolina, during a revival meeting, Mordecai Ham brought a congregation that could have looked a lot like this. I like to imagine maybe there was a tent. (laughs) It was a revival after all. He shares the gospel, and people accept the gospel that night. The Holy Spirit calls them into relationship with Jesus. They give their lives to Jesus, and Jesus begins to repurpose them for his purpose, to seek and to save the lost. If you've never heard of Mordecai Ham, and I'm not surprised. I think you have heard of somebody that was sitting in that congregation that night. His name is Billy Graham. Tens of thousands of people have given their lives to Jesus because of the ministry and the faithfulness and the obedience of Billy Graham to share the gospel. Nobody knows Mordecai Ham. Everybody knows Billy Graham. You never know what God will do with the life that you bring before him. Whether that's your spouse, whether that's your kids, whether that's a friend, whether that's a coworker. We all need to get before the gospel. We all need to realize that we are sinners that are in need of grace from a loving God. We all need to realize that that sin keeps us out of right relationship with God and that there is consequence for that sin, which is an eternity away from the Father, outside of his presence, outside of his love, and that's called hell. But the story didn't end there. Now, the way that the gospel goes is that God gave his one and only son. He sent Jesus down to live the perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice for us, to take the cross for us, all of our shortcomings, all of our faults, everywhere that we have messed up. He took the cross and he became the perfect sacrifice, never having sinned himself, having fulfilled the law and the prophets, every jot, every tittle, every T cross, every I dotted. He took that on the cross. And it wasn't just that he took on the cross. He took our sin on the cross. And when he died for our sin, he made a way for us to get to the Father. But he didn't just die and stay dead. We can't find him in a grave now. And we'll see that, spoiler alert, at Easter. There's no grave marked Jesus. Stay out. No, three days later, he rose from the grave, having victory over sin, having victory over death, having victory over the enemy. And through that victory, when we put our faith in Jesus to be put in right relationship with God, 
That is the gospel that saves. When we give our lives to him, when we repent of our sin, when we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus to save us from it, we receive the Holy Spirit and we live life in Jesus. That's the gospel that the people around us need to hear. We may not be Billy Graham's, but let's be Mordecai Ham's. We may not be Peter's, but let's be Andrew's. Overall, to wrap everything up today, I think encountering Jesus means discomfort. And I think through the rest of this series, we are going to see that encountering Jesus means discomfort. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Well, it takes discomfort to find that out. Do I really want to follow him if it means giving up what I want? Well, it's going to take discomfort to die to yourself. Will I be able to stay with him and abide in him? Let me just tell you from my own personal experience, it's often discomfort that pushes me closer into the open arms of Jesus than when things are going okay. So guess what? That's probably going to take some discomfort in your life if you are going to abide in Jesus. What will other people think if I share Jesus with them? Let me tell you from personal experience, it's always awkward. It's never easy. But we should always be obedient to sharing the gospel with those around us. Every single awkward conversation will bring discomfort. But I will also say that any encounter with Jesus is worth the discomfort that it may bring. Our discomfort here could very well mean our eternity there. And our discomfort here could very well mean someone else's eternity there in the presence of the, of the Father in heaven. I got a random email this week, and I don't normally share about my random emails that I get with you guys because I get a lot of them. But I got an email from a man by the name of Toby Thorpe. And Toby's email said, Pastor Alex, it's really hard for me not to say this with an accent because I'm about to show you a video of Toby, and you're going to see really quick this man he emails with an accent. <laughs> Pastor Alex, my name's Toby Thorpe. I am riding across the country on my bicycle to raise awareness of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering that goes towards church plants just like yours. We call this the big church planting gift. I would like to meet with you just to see how God is moving in your church, how we can help, how I can pray for you, and how we can bring awareness to this offering together. I instantly grabbed that email. I went to the folder that said Nigerian princes, and I wanted to put it right inside of there. And I, I was, I just deleted it, actually. I don't have a folder that says Nigerian princes. I got an email four hours later from Toby's pastor, Pastor Jonathan, and it said, Pastor Alex, uh, you probably got an email about four hours ago from a crazy-sounding person named Toby who's riding his bike across the nation to raise awareness to support and fund church planners just like yourself. I want you to know that, yes, you are absolutely right. He is a crazy person, but he's Jesus' crazy person. And so immediately I was like, you know what, i got to meet this guy. So Jacob and I packed up the cameras. We drove out to Wickenburg. They were, goodness, I think they were four days in, seven days in, uh, t on their bike ride, and they were having a rest day. And through interviewing Toby, through talking to him about what Jesus is doing in his life, I think what we will see that I would love to share with you this morning is a man whose life in Jesus went from seeking comfort to embracing discomfort and seeing how God has used that now. So, if you would, 
please check out Toby with me. And remember, Toby's from North Carolina, the just, I don't know, the backwoodsiest of North Carolina. The video has subtitles for that reason. Toby, if you're watching, <laughs> I love you. I'm sorry. All right. Toby, share with our church kind of what it is that you're doing biking across America. Two guys that I'm, I'm cycling with, it's been a bucket list item of ours for some time. Mm -hmm. And we we decided we were going to do it. I think God put some uh, put some situations in it to where it, 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 it touched our heart that it needed to be more just a joy ride. Mm -hmm. For myself, I... Um, it goes back to 2018. I, I feel like God kind of asked, told me I needed to do more, uh, on, you know, from a mission standpoint. We decided we need to make this count for something more. But we got to talking. The, the time of the year that this trip was, it's going to encompass Easter. That it would be a perfect time to build awareness of Annie Armstrong Easter offering, which. His home missions, different kind of missions, but still missions, mm -hmm. still making Jesus known. Absolutely, absolutely. So kind of tell us what it is that you guys are trying to accomplish right now. We are trying to uh, survive. <laughs> we, we are, uh, it's, just, it's just an opportunity for us to give back. And, and uh, at the same time, see the country at a different pace and, um, and just enjoy what we all already enjoy doing. Absolutely. So this project is called Pedaling for Annie, and this is what this is kind of your uh, part of the project here it going is. across the country. Um, tell us where did you start? Where do you hope to finish? And how long is that going to take? And we everything in between. We started a week ago in San Diego at uh, Ocean Beach, uh, right at the end of the San Diego River dipped our back wheels in the Pacific Ocean, took a couple pictures and started pedaling. Ever since then, that's what we've been doing right up till today. We feel like we've earned a rest. Of it. <laughs> I feel like you have And to. we hope to finish in about seven and a half to eight weeks in St. Augustine, Florida. Well, what has been the, the most difficult part of the, the ride so far? <laughs> uh, the physical aspect, the obviously. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, we've persevered. I have to say, it hasn't always been fun, but it's never been boring. Toby, would you say um, that God has called you to discomfortable things in your life with Him? He has. He's called me to some uh, uh, to some things that were a little bit uh, scary, should you say. Serving as a Sunday school teacher, I, I did not feel real comfortable when I started doing that, but I found out. And I probably learned more than the people in my class if, through through the preparations, and hopefully I'm able to pass that on. Always, the, when the opportunity comes to share Jesus, it's uncomfortable for me because I have messed up so many times. My my high school and college years, I was very rebellious. It was all about me, yeah. and uh, it, it has. Through those difficult times, I think he's kind of taught me that he's on. He's going to always be there, uh, even even if I step away. Uh, he, he's there for me. Yeah. We live in grace. 
Amen. Yes, sir. Would you say in your life that the discomfort in following Jesus has been worth it? it it's it's worth it because uh, I think of a I think of a bit of scripture that uh, that I think is often used at funerals, but it, I think it describes the Christian life is that we we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Maybe we're not mourning, but maybe we're just frustrated sometimes about how things are going in our life. Maybe we are losing our patience or, or just ready to quit. But we've got that hope. And if, if we center our thoughts and our purpose on helps us, it will help us get through those difficult times. Jesus never promised that it was going to be easy. No, he didn't. Well, Toby, I want to say thank you. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate what you're doing to, to ride across the country to raise money for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering that benefits churches like Asante Church. We would not be able to plant our church. We would not be able to still be a church, especially after COVID, if it weren't for the North American Mission Board and the funds that they use from the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. He's crazy. All right. I think as a church, what we need to really focus in on is if we're going to abide in Jesus, if we're going to be disciples, being disciples and abiding almost always means discomfort. And God may not be calling you to ride across the country on a bicycle. But I know for some of us in here, he's calling you to so much more. He's calling you to be a faithful husband, a father. He's calling you to be a mom that loves her husband, that loves her kids so incredibly much. Look, I've seen everything my wife puts into loving our kids. And I would just as soon rather ride across the country on a bicycle, okay? It'd be a heck of a lot easier. God is moving in the lives of people in this church in ways that I absolutely love to see. But I know it hurts. It's like working out, right? You start to pump some weight, starts to build muscle, but the only way to build muscle is for that muscle to be torn so that it can be repaired. And in that repairing, it gets stronger and there's growth. If we're going to grow in Jesus, it's going to mean discomfort. But let's embrace the discomfort because it will be worth it every step of the way if we are running to Jesus in that discomfort. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, this morning I thank you that as your church, as your disciple, as followers of you, that you do call us into discomfort. I thank you that it's not always easy. I thank you that you are not all about our health, wealth, and happiness, Jesus, that we have not fallen for a fake gospel, but that we've seen that life will be harder as true believers, true followers in you. But you never leave. You're always there no matter how hard it gets. And if we lose our lives for your sake, we will find them. And so, Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would peel the scales back from so many eyes in here of people that have been fans of you for their whole lives, that they would become followers of you for the first time, that they would enter truly into relationship with you, that you would be their Lord, which means master, which means they follow your direction, not their own. Father, I pray that for people that are believers too, because we 
all need so much grace. We all slip right back into trying to live comfortable lives. Jesus, if we're going to reach our families, if we're going to reach our friends, if we're going to reach the people and the places that you have called us to, if we are going to reach this community, we have to embrace discomfort. Help us to get comfortable in being uncomfortable. Help us to rely on you every step of the way. Keep us abiding in you every step of the way. In Jesus' name. Amen.